welcome to the Shenandoah Valley Life Podcast, where we introduce you to Shenandoah Valley residents who are living, working, and thriving in Virginia's iconic valley. Ready to make the Shenandoah Valley your home? Visit ShenandoahValleyLiving.com to start your Shenandoah Valley life. I'm Jay Langston. I am the executive director of the Shenandoah Valley Partnership, the regional and economic development organization for 12 localities in the Shenandoah Valley. Today, we are interviewing Scott Asbell, our producer for the Shenandoah Valley Life podcast. And I think that you will enjoy this conversation. This podcast is brought to you by our friends from the Stanton Innovation Hub, a wonderful co-working space in the city of Stanton. Grow with us. At the Stanton Innovation Hub, a co-working facility designed to reduce barriers to innovation, open new opportunities, and cultivate community. Located in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, we're in close proximity to Interstates 81 and 64. We're surrounded by eight colleges and universities and have 30,000 square feet of co-working office and event space. Let us help you eliminate distractions in a safe, energetic environment. To learn more, visit stantonhub.com. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Jay. We have threatened to do this for uh, a while. Finally made it on this side of the microphone. <laughs> so true. Um, been wanting to interview for you for a while because you are an entrepreneur in many, many ways. Uh, you not only do our podcast, but you produce for music, I understand. You are also our... Website guru right now, thank you for that. Uh, you have been producing our podcast for quite a while. Uh, yeah. And I just thought it would be a great, you know, interview because you also represent exactly uh, what we're trying to convey through the Shenandoah Valley Life podcast. So, Scott, I'll start with you just like we do everybody, and we'll probably meander all over the place sure, in our yeah, conversation. Definitely. But, uh, yeah, what what got you here? Um, came to the, the Shenandoah Valley when I went to James Madison. Um, went on one tour and decided that was the college I wanted to go to. It's the only one I applied to. Got in early. It was great. And, uh, well, that wasn't a very much of an extended story, but it sounds just like my son who did the same thing. Asked us, like, why are you wanting me to apply to other schools? This mm -hmm. is where I'm going. Yeah, definitely. And I had toured a bunch of other ones. I knew I could kind of get in wherever I wanted and... I just was like, I'm going to James Madison. And so it worked out perfectly. Yeah. Now, you stayed here mm -hmm. immediately upon this. And talk about some of your ventures. Is sure. that the, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> the right way to, to put this? Because you've got your hands into so many things. I did, yeah. So I, I studied business management at James Madison, um, did the um, technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship track within business management. And um, my junior year of college, the end of my junior year, um, f nine, nine days before my 21st birthday, I bought a bowling alley up in Mount Jackson, Virginia, <laughs> which is in the Shenandoah Valley, which is, or sorry, Shenandoah County, which is the county yes. north of the county that Harrisonburg is surrounded by, Rockingham County. And, uh, yeah, I bought that in my junior year, um, continued to do school full-time, continued to work at the bowling alley full-time my senior year, 
and uh, do all the, you know all the other fun college things. I, I, I'm sorry, well. and, and, and you've told me that story, but that is to me just both hilarious and such an entrepreneurial leap that I can't even imagine. Yeah, I knew I wanted to run a small business. I always knew that. I I loved doing that growing up. Like in high school, I started a screen printing company. It was like making shirts for um, all the sports teams at school and like um, even like took off a season. Um, I could have been the kicker for our high school um, uh, football team and I wouldn't have had to go into the normal practices because I would have been at volleyball and they were like cool with it because they, they just needed a kicker. They needed and a I kicker. I could kick field goals because my dad was a field goal kicking coach and they were like, you can you don't need to show up at practices, just come to the games, <laughs> kick our field goals. And I was like, you know what I'd rather do? Sell t-shirts, t-shirts. that I've printed myself and make a lot of money at the football games. And, you know, I told them I'd donate some to the, like, the sports peoples and they're like okay do that and uh yeah i've just always been entrepreneurial minded and wanting to start and run businesses and uh so when i saw the bowling alley was for sale i had joked with somebody like a month before they're like what are you gonna do when you graduate i was like i want to move to mount jackson by the bowling alley and then i went bowling on a date and i saw it was for sale and i was like oh i should look into this and so and 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 you held on to it and you were still in school, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you yeah. were you were living the program definitely there at JMU with the entrepreneurial um, program. But how did you how did you operate that? How did you make it through that? Yeah, I don't know. I've never had a hard time with like time management, and just was always worked out. And so you know, I was also like volunteering, um, probably like twenty hours plus a week with um an organization back then as well and i was hanging out with my college buddies and um hanging out with my girlfriend and you know just doing all the things i got a dog then too um and it wasn't didn't seem like a big deal i don't know how it worked but it did um pretty amazing so the bowling alley how did you sure yeah, it's so, okay, yeah. It's, it's so interesting. <laughs> tell a story. I, when you go to business school, you learn a lot. You essentially learn like how to be a great employee in a corporate business office, um, and that was perfect. And Jamie's like the entrepreneurship concentration was, I think, fairly new. There weren't a lot mm-hmm. of classes for me to pick from that were really entrepreneurial focused. And I know now there's a lot more, especially with. Um, What's X Labs? Is that the yeah the X Labs? Yes, and, and that yes. just wasn't there when I was there, and so it seems like now there's a lot more training that will help you with the small business route, the more entrepreneurship route, and um, so I always told people it felt like I got my um, bachelor's in business administration to kind of learn how to be a great employee in an office, and then I bought the bowling alley to learn how to get like you know a bachelor's in small business essentially, and I learned a ton over those three years, like. To start with, the bowling machines were built in the 40s or 50s, maybe the 60s. Anyways, they're really old, and no one's made any new parts for them for years. And so, like, learning how to fix them and take care of them and um, figuring out how to, like, run a tiny kitchen and manage employees, it's just it's a trip. Um, and, 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 Scott, I, I, I'm thinking about all that it takes to actually run this. How many days... A week did you have the alley open? How did you manage 
all of the the operations. Yeah, of it this. was open. Um, there were leagues Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then I would have like open bowling on the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and like private parties and stuff. There wasn't a lot of demand for weekday open bowling. I tried when I first started just kind of being open different hours to see what people were into. But Mount Jackson especially is, you know, not the most ha- happening place in Shenandoah County, which is also not the most happening place in the Shenandoah Valley. <laughs> and so I kind of, you know, it's mostly weekend hours um, up at the up at the alley. So, But I don't know. I just I hired friends and people that I knew in Shenandoah County to run the machines and taught them. And it wasn't it's some, definitely something one person could do all by themselves, um, but it was a lot sometimes. Like when you had all six lanes going and you're, you know, ringing up people, um, getting them drinks and whatever, fixing stuff. You know, it was a lot, but it was fun and, you know, learned a lot, a, a ton in the process that I never would have learned otherwise. Oh, I can only imagine that you just had to deal with everything in yeah. so many ways. And I had to grow up a lot, and it taught me a lot of that too. And um, it was great. And it's it's, just, it's been really interesting recording all these episodes with y'all and like listening to all these other people because I feel like everyone I've listened to did it right and I did it wrong (laughs) and that so many of these programs that I hear everyone talking about I'm like wait that would have been really helpful for me (laughs) and I did not you know I didn't uh, I didn't I didn't know about any of these programs that were offered or that and you know I could have gotten enrolled with like a you know other business owners and like encouragement there. Cause I'm, I'm good at visions. I'm not good at like following through in the details and even just like some other people who were, you know, uh, co new entrepreneurs with me, like would have been really helpful. Um, and you know, some of the resources and things I think would have been good for me. And so I'm listening to this and like, dang it, I did it all wrong back then. And no wonder, like, you know, I didn't want to do it for forever because it was it was a struggle. So I understand. Okay, everybody, take away what Scott just said. There are programs available that entrepreneurs should take advantage of. Mm-hmm. And if you're not here in the Shenandoah Valley, uh, there are programs where you are. But the small business development centers, people that specialize in mentoring type programs. We have the Shenandoah Community uh, Capital Fund here in this area where we interviewed Debbie Irwin and they do mentorships and they help with all of the resource provisions and there are people that are out there that can can help. So lesson learned. Yeah, hearing about all that, I was like, that would have been so helpful. And I kind of like tried to do it all on my own when I started that business. And um, you know, after three years, I was ready to get my weekends back and kind of like let that go because it was fine. It broke even, made some profit, but it wasn't terribly profitable. Um, and so, but listening to all these other, you know, people and hearing about these programs and grants and cohorts they've been involved with, I was like, that would have been really nice. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you, you persevered though, and you sold it and then Yeah, I sold it. And before I had sold it, there was, um, there was a company around the corner that, um, is a histology archive. They store research material for pharmaceutical companies um, in case, you know, they ever need to get audited for, you know, a drug that's on the market, that kind of deal, or, you know, future research, Mm -hmm. whatever. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of reasons to store it. But I knew I needed some extra hours, and since the bowling alley was open weekends, I could work there weekdays. And so I started working at, um, at the time, it was HSRL Archives, um, and now it's um, Stage Bio, and they've kind of merged with a bunch of other companies to become a, a 
good deal bigger and kind of get more of the supply chain involved in one company and consolidate. Um, but anyways, I was there for five years and I was the operations manager um, at the archive and started off with one archive, then moved to having three different um, physical locations where we archive stuff and um, started off with just me being at the office most of the time working for my bosses to then me becoming the boss and having people work for me. And so I did that for um, five or six years and that was a lot of fun as well. That sounds like, was that a locally owned company? Yeah, it was. So it was another entrepreneur. Yeah, the, the people that um, owned it, they um, they had worked for a bigger, similar company in Northern Virginia, and they decided they wanted to start their own. And that um, just Shenandoah County, I think, was doing some pretty good um, grant kind of stuff to mm-hmm. get businesses to come mm-hmm. in, especially when it came to like picking up physical buildings and um, revamping them. And so they started their. Um, first two buildings there um, in Mount Jackson. And so, yeah, worked for those guys. And it was very entrepreneurial. And when I started, the company was the three owners and me. And then, you know, eventually grew to be like, um, at one point, I think it had three people working for me. So, yeah, it was really small business. And then we merged with all the other companies that got huge. So Yeah, then again, you were able to use some of the knowledge that you had already had. Yeah, definitely more of that JMU um how to be a great employee in a, you know, office (laughs) knowledge for sure. Yeah. Um, So next, what was... Yeah, when, so I, I don't like... Can you remember? (laughs) I don't like doing things the way everyone else does them, especially like not the corporate business world, because I just feel like it takes the people out of business. And I think that's what I like about small business is that it's still very people oriented because it has to be. And the bigger and bigger a company gets, it seems like the more and more um, capitalistic it gets, as in it turns humans into parts of a capital machine that runs. You know, it turns humans into capital. They are working capital. And that's what they are. But it's, I think it's harder and harder to maintain the heart of that the bigger a company gets. Um, and so I loved working um, in a small business. Um, I loved, you know, one, one of the favorite perks of mine, which is so stupid because I could have asked for a raise, but like I was like, can we have like monthly lunches where like we get the, the employees <laughs> get to pick Actually, where we're going yeah. and, you know, take time off, or, like take an hour off. And like I liked little perks like that that were very personable and fun. And I loved getting um, lunch with my bosses, you know, and it's so silly because I could have, I'm probably, sh- I'm sure I could have maybe gotten paid more, but I was like, no, I'd rather have this perk. Um, and so I liked the heart of all that, and I really cared about making a great working environment that was fun um, and that people enjoyed, even though, like, some of the work that my employees were doing and even some of the work I was doing was very monotonous and tedious, and, and it had to be very exact because we're, like, regulated, yes. um, you know, through the, the FDA records, and right. all that kind of different stuff. Um, and so, anyway, like, that's what I really enjoyed about it, and I got to create that environment, and I loved it. And then when we started merging with other companies and got bigger, it just, it lost a little bit of its small business charm for me. And I was like, you know, I think it's time to rock and roll on from this Um, and maybe do something a little bit more flexible, um, work for myself again. Um, Because I had been, at that point, I had also been Airbnb um, part of my property, my house that I owned for like a year or two. And I was like, I could do that plus some more self um, employment stuff and make ends meet. So I, I left the archive after like five or six years um, and decided to 
do what my father has been doing, which I'm not passionate about it at all, but it's a great, it's like an easy paycheck and it's super flexible and it's just building um, sales like garages and um, sheds and carports and stuff like yes, that. Yes. Now I remember you talking about that in one of our conversations after our podcast before. So, and that's still sort of a gig that you do now, correct? Yep. Is Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, it's, it's, so that is something that's flexible for you, but do you actually, the the company, build these? But you sell these. Yeah, I'm just a dealer for a co- two different companies that sell these buildings. And it's really flexible. And part of the reason I took it was there's a big workshop there, um, two garage bays where I could bring all my tools and build stuff while I'm at work. Um, yeah, and we're going to get into that too. <laughs> plenty of space where like I could also like bring my instruments and practice because I'm a musician as well and um, every now and then, like last year, I did my first wedding, and I was really nervous because it's someone's big day, and I wanted to be really, really great, and, like really phenomenal for them. Um, and I was like, I need to learn a lot more love songs because you can't sing breakup songs or sad songs at a wedding. And I was looking at my repertoire, and I was like, well, I can play for three hours, but half of it is not wedding appropriate, so we need to learn more. And the job was great because like a busy day for me is seeing like six customers, and. Um, there's a lot of time in between, and so I can edit video. I can practice an hour and a half more of new, better love songs. Um, <laughs> you know, I can mix audio from some of the projects I'm recording or, you know, recording for other people. I can mix this podcast, um, get that all worked on. So, like, I kind of just do a lot of different things while I'm at my job because it's flexible, and that works really well for me right now. As you listen to this, you can tell that Scott is a very multi-dimensional personality, has lots of talents and does lots of different things. So let's talk about the music for, for a second. Sure. Yeah. I, I think through Carrie Orbaugh, who worked for me, it wasn't that the segue for you joining us. I can't remember (laughs) how. um, Yeah. I mean, so when I, whenever I've started anything I've done, I've known nothing about it, and I learn. So, like, when I first started, like, playing music, I didn't, I didn't know that you had to stay within, that most people stay within the same key for the songs, and there's some chords that work in the same key, and there's some that don't. I just started. Now, what writing, do you play? I just started writing songs. Um, I play mostly guitar and banjo. Okay. Um, I have two bands that I play with right now. Um, one is a one-man band where I'm playing, like, drums with my feet and you know guitar or banjo and a harmonica and like singing um and then that's like a very folky bluegrassy project and then yeah. i have like a um a punk folk kind of rock duo band where i'm um, playing electric and i'm like a modified electric banjo and oh, no, that um, sounds cool and then my friend plays drums and it's a lot more like emo um, like existential emo folk punk i guess i don't know um so that's the two things that, that I'm playing right now. But yeah, I did. That is how it all got started. Just me being at the bowling alley and playing a lot of country and folk music for my bowlers because that's what they would always <laughs> ask for. And I didn't know I liked that music until I started playing it for them. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's back up. So you started entertaining the bowlers at your alley by playing music? No, no, no I no. was not playing okay. it. Oh, at you that time, playing. I wasn't okay. even good at playing music. I couldn't sing great yet. 
I um, couldn't really even play the guitar yet. Okay. Um, it was still very rudimentary, but they were asking for, for on the stereo to hear like oh, a bunch of hear. folk, okay. classic country, um, bluegrass, that kind of stuff. Okay, got because it. Because it's in got the Shenandoah it. Valley, and you know, there's a lot of rich roots yes. music history here. Yes, and definitely. So I started listening to it, and I was like, oh, I really like that. So when I picked up a guitar towards the end of when I in the alley and started playing music, I found that that like, really suited my um, style and my voice, and... I really loved, fell in love with that music and was like really immersed in it for like a long time. And so, yeah, I just would like teach myself stuff. I started playing with like three friends and then one of them dropped out of the band and I was like, well, I can like try to play a kick drum while I you know, sing and play guitar. And then the next one started, dropped out of the band and he did a lot of the fiddle like solos. I was like, well, I guess I could learn harmonica and you know, you slowly pick up stuff. And so then I knew how to play music, but I didn't know how to record it. I'm sorry, but you've got to have some talent to be able to just pick up these instruments and, and do this. My main musical talent is writing a melody and coming up with lyrics and the rest of it is just like working on it and like practicing and getting better over time. And, um, like, you know, I'll go listen to, I've recorded some of the same songs, like, two or three times at this point, and, you know, spanning, like, five or six years, and I'll listen to the versions. You can hear my, my voice getting a lot better. You can hear the playing getting tighter. Um, and so a lot of, it really is just, like, practice and learning. Um, That's a good lesson. That's a good lesson for everybody. Yeah, and the same thing with all the audio. Like, I remember stepping into the first time I saw, like, a big mixing board, and, like, where, you know, they would like do the live sound and I was like look at all those knobs look at all those levers I could never control that I have no idea what it does and then you know I learned how to use one microphone then I learned how to like use two I learned how to use like a mixing software I watched tons of YouTube and like over time like got good enough to where like I produced my my own record and then I got good enough to where a friend was like hey can I can you produce a record for me um, yeah. and all that kind of stuff and then that's the, you know that's how I got hooked up with the podcast gig is that I had a friend who knew I knew how to do all this at this point, and I was like, hey, I think you'd be a good fit for these guys. Um, you know, see what you think. And I was like, yeah, I know how to do all that. That sounds perfect. Let's, you know, let's record some podcasts. So it's really just all learning and, like, incremental kind of, you know, small knowledge of along the way. And you have no idea of how hard Scott works to make me sound good on these podcasts. So It is not actually that hard. It is. It is. It is fun. So you're doing the the music, and I can't imagine playing more than one instrument at a time and singing, but that's something we can talk about offline. But you mentioned the shop that you mm-hmm. have there and your love for the creating and the building. You have built your own tiny home. I did, and yes. let's talk about that journey because you've sold your house now yep, with, without the house, any problems. Lived in the tiny it, house. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, being like very entrepreneurship minded, um, when I bought the house that I had just that I just sold, I it was bigger than what we needed, but I knew it had additional space to like do an Airbnb. And yeah. I was like, so what you were doing that? Get a little more space, get the house we want. And, you know, also have this, like, side business and, you know, come home at nights and, like, mornings and you cleaning, you know, make beds. Like, the lots of making beds. It was, like, four years of making beds. <laughs> I got good at making beds. And I loved it. I, you know, it was really easy and um, it worked out great. And I would make slowly make renovation changes on the house, like, 
um, you know, adding like egress windows to the basement room so they're legal, um, you know, redoing, like doing a deck on the back porch, um, building all the furniture, like most of the furniture in the house, like the um, kitchen tables, all of the bedroom, like bed frames, all the um, like chest of drawers, um, these vanities were all like uh, wood projects I had taken on and like started building. Oh, kind cool. Of like I started, didn't know that. Yeah, I started finding my own style because I started working with pallet wood just because it's cheap. Um, and it's abundant. I like, I, I know that I'm a slacker, like, <laughs> in the best way. And, like, I do, like I've, I've, I do some YouTube videos, and my channel name is Slacker Scott because I think that definitely epitomizes who I am. And, like, my <laughs> tagline is not cheap, not lazy, efficient, and thrifty. Oh, and I like it. I definitely am cheap, and I am lazy. But I also am thrifty and efficient, like, you know, Life and everything is full of paradox, and that's, like, where some of the most true things are in these paradoxical things that could never be true. Like, I mean, even just the Shenandoah Valley in general, it's super old energy. Our river meanders so much, it is incredibly old. And we have so many local people who have been here forever. And then we have all this new energy with all these colleges that are always coming in and leaving. And I think that mixture of the new and old does, like, these paradoxical elements are what shapes it and makes it such like a beautiful place. Um, well said. But anyway, all that, yeah, I, I feel very paradoxical in my own self. And so, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I started working with pallet wood, started making stuff, started finding, like, what style I liked, kind of made, turn it into more contemporary style with, like, rustic elements. And then um, eventually I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a trailer and build a tiny house. And I had no idea I wanted to live in it at the time. Um, I just knew I was going to make it, and I thought it was going to be, like, another Airbnb rental for me. So I'd have two properties. I'd be managing those. And I asked my partner, I was like, hey, do you want to move into a tiny house? And, and she said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was about to ask you that question, but you did a perfect segue Yeah, yourself. I was like, well, I bought a trailer. I'm building it. And she's like, that's great. We know we have separate finances. I love that. And lets me be irresponsible, do what I want. Um, and her not have to worry about it. And I was like, well, I'm building it. You know, it's going to be great. She's like, yeah, I'm so proud of you. Like, go do it. And um, I was halfway through the build. She was like, I really like the house you're building. It's really cool. And, like, I want to move in with you, you know, to that house. And it's like she kind of, like, proposed to me when we were um, – she, like, sold, sell the house proposed to me, um, which is fun. Because she actually did propose to me, too, like, when we got engaged. Like, she yes, proposed to I me. Remember, yes, I remember. Yeah, it's very fun. I love her so much. Um, <laughs> You're a very lucky man. <laughs> oh, incredibly lucky, yes. And, uh, yeah, so then we decided that we were moving into the tiny house, which – I had already, like, laid it out, so I couldn't change the layout much. But then I was like, well, everything from now on, like, help me make the decisions on what type of materials to use, what the look's going to look like, colors, you know, that kind of thing. And so took, like, two and a half months to finish building, um, and uh, we sold our house um, right at the end of that and moved into the tiny house. Yeah, so. Scott went from 3,000 square feet to 300 yep, square 3, feet. 3,000 to 300. And... I the the pictures don't translate on the podcast very well, but it is a really nice, beautiful, tiny house. The the furnishings, the style, is very much personal. It's yeah, we're we're both very minimalistic. Like when um, when we first met, she came to my house for the first time. There was like no no pictures on the wall, very neutral colors, like kind of like 
Scandinavian minimalist kind of feel. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, like I'm minimalist. I have a small capsule wardrobe. And she's like, yeah, I am too. Like, and I went to her house and I was like, oh wow, she's even more minimalistic than me. <laughs> <laughs> and so then we just have this like really like everything in the tiny house feels very us. And you get to look at every corner of it, and you're so excited um, by a little every little thing you see. And I like we believe that like minimalism and like even just like the space you're in does a lot to your mental health. Um, and um, I think it's it, it's been so crazy to see how much more space we've had in our heads since moving into the tiny house um, than even when we were in our already minimalized but like you know big house. And so it, no, no, it was, anyways, we love it. I, unbeknownst to Scott, I will, and I'm not going to go into great depth, but completing my house, well, I'm still working on the house, but last year, very much in the same mindset mm-hmm. as Scott. Uh, I've done a lot of the work myself and continuing to, to do that, sometimes scratching my head, but I don't let that get in the way of trying to move forward. So... Scott, what is next now? You you are living on, I think, your in-laws' yep, property? Yep, in-laws' property right now. Um, I mean, the, the future goal is to, um, like, our, our shared goal is to build an A-frame, pretty small still, but like a big A-frame house. Not big, bigger than our house now, which is small. <laughs> um, you know, but an A-frame house um, with a big porch and then have several tiny houses around where either friends or family or Airbnb people or whatever could stay. And, you know, we'd have space for um, music studios and writers nooks. My wife is, she, she does counseling, but she's also an amazing writer and musician herself. And so, like, we, it's so interesting. I feel like I've spent my whole life thinking five, ten years ahead and, like, knowing what I wanted to do. And the more and more I f- find myself, like, living in the present and having no idea what the future is going to look like, and it makes me so happy, and, and it feels like falling into little eternities all the time, and time is soft and squishy and, like, really warm and, like, embracing, and, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what's in the future. I just know, like, the things that we, like, base our life around are, like, simplicity and friendship and connection and music um and i think that's what's gonna keep happening wherever we end up and wherever that a-frame is built and all that uh scott and our previous guest uh both of them are 29 about to turn 30 and have already squeezed more into their lives than a lot of people will ever do in a in a lifetime and i i've great admiration in your your outlook your philosophy on where you're going and i think you summarized that ethos for the valley really well because there is so much of that here and it's hard to explain to people and i love the way that you just described that in a way that i could never even capture yeah and when when you look at the pandemic and you We've seen tons of growth in the pandemic, and I think really, like, when you think about crucibles, like, spaces where things change and have space Mm -hmm. to change, is always these liminal spaces where you're there but not quite yet, or, you know, like, very paradoxical opposite spaces, and what the, like, I feel like the pandemic did was make a crucible for us to reconsider stuff, to be... um, living in the present but also very much in the future and like also in the past and like 
uh, it was a crucible for change. And I think that the valley with its paradoxical elements has always been like a crucible for change. And so like living within that little thing where you can emerge as something more is, uh, you know, is really beautiful and cool. And, you know, opposites don't, aren't really like opposing forces all the time. They don't have to be. They can work together with like a, a, you know, a resolving third force and make something beautiful. I think that's what we see here in the Shenandoah Valley a lot and especially, you know, over this last couple of years with the pandemic. So I think yeah. so. Well, I can't top that. So I will wrap it up with th- those thoughts. But pose to you, you know, the question that we always ask the big, everybody, the big one, the you know. The big best day question. <laughs> the big best day question. What yeah. what is it? And you've seen You've seen guests struggle with this, and so it yeah. doesn't have to be a day. You know, some people have even asked for a week. So that that always makes me laugh, but also speaks to how much they love the area. So take yeah, it away, Scott. Like I was saying earlier, like when you, like I feel like the more and more I'm present, the more and more like time just feels kind of infinite. And so a day is totally fine. That's we're good with a day. Um, I think the best day ever would probably start by waking up. Like in our camper van, like we probably went somewhere like on the Blue Ridge Parkway or camping or whatever and woke up there and then um, probably go get breakfast somewhere. I love getting brunch and maybe playing a little bit of music around the house um, or out in the van or something like that. And then grabbing like a case of beer and floating the river. I love to just sit and float and like let the river take you. And some days it takes you know, an hour to float the section you're used to. And some days it takes three or four. And that's, and that's so, not bad, right? <laughs> no, it's perfect. You have an inner tube. You don't need a boat. You just sit and float and have your beers. And it's great. And I'd definitely, end the, I'd definitely get to a vineyard at some point and then end the day at a nice restaurant with, like, a really long meal. I love taking, I don't know, an hour and a half to two hours to eat a meal. You know, get an entree, get your drinks, get your main thing. Just like really meander and be cozy and give a big tip because you, you took up a lot of that waiter time. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I, I don't know, having a bonfire with friends or um, something like oh, that. that is but great. we we love to um, check out the breweries and distilleries and vineyards around the area. We love to kind of relax and just you know settle into some drinks and lots of great conversation. So I think that probably be it. That's a great description. Well, Scott is a renaissance man in many ways, but he's really been a critical part of our podcast. We're eventually going to lose Scott, you know, because he's going to go on to his next venture here. But thank you for what you do for us, Scott. And it's always a pleasure to sit down with our guest and then talk to you about the things that you're doing and it's it's inspiring the guest and you and what everybody is doing particularly the young people in the valley yeah it's so interesting because i know the whole point of this podcast is you know economic development and like attracting outside talent and you know these different people who are deciding where these companies go and the more and more like you listen to it, the more and more episodes we do. It is a, definitely a great resource for that. But I feel like it's also just a great resource for people who are entrepreneurial, who do want to maybe craft out a different route 
through life because, you know, you listen to this and you've seen so many people's paths that have made it work. Um, and I don't know. I think, like, I think we'll be finding different, you know, a lot of different markets and different people that want to listen and hear a lot of these resources and stuff. So I love getting to listen and record them every week. And it's been crazy. I haven't interrupted and said anything because I typically interrupt all the time in normal conversations. So <laughs> we've made it like what twenty one episodes. Yes, we made it twenty one episodes. Anything. <laughs> Huge growth, huge, huge growth uh, path for me. Yeah, I think I need to get you to join in on some of these because I know that you're just wanting to there, but uh, really appreciate oh, it. You hold it down quite well, your own <laughs> self there, Jay. Scott, thank you. Thank you, Jay, and uh, we'll be hearing more of them. Sounds good. Perfect. This podcast has been brought to you by the Shenandoah Valley Partnership. Thanks for listening.